Tonight, what I'd like to share with you are some reflections on uh, awakening, freedom. You know, as the Buddha said, the Buddha said, this path has just one taste, just as the ocean, you know, if you taste the ocean, if you take a little bit of water and taste it, it has one taste, the taste of salt. And so too does this practice have one taste, and that's the taste of freedom. But what is this freedom? What is the Buddha pointing to? How do we understand it in terms of your own life and your own daily life? And I'm hoping uh, for our gathering that this is just the beginning of a conversation around this rather than the end. And that's, that's really my, my hope for offering you some of these reflections and reflections for your own life and how you understand spiritual freedom. And to also, if we have time, we'll see to give you a metaphor that hopefully will be a, a springboard for reflecting on, on freedom and awakening. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to first frame, just get, share a little bit about how uh, awakening and freedom is spoke about in, in Theravada Buddhism, especially in the early segments of it. And then, uh, and then to move on from there. So when the Buddha talks about awakening, one of the, the definitions he gives, which I, I appreciate because it's so simple, it's maybe confusing, but it's a great starting place, is he says that freedom or awakening is simply a heart that's free of greed, hatred, and delusion. And these words greed, hatred, and delusion could be understood as that realm of reactivity like your mind obsessively worrying or feeling fear or being lost in hatred or anger in a way that just eats at you. That's, that's the reactivity of the heart or the mind. And hopefully, probably many of you know how paralyzing that can be, right? When you're in that state, There's a, it feels like being trapped. So freedom would be the opposite of that, is when we're not trapped by such a mind or by such a heart. And also what comes with that is instead of there's reactivity, it gives, uh, it opens up the door for being able to respond to the world that I'm living in rather than merely reacting to it. And, and one of the things I want to point out about this definition of freedom do you hear how this is different than sometimes freedom is spoken about in this country of the freedom to be able to do whatever you want to do? Yeah, uh, just so you know, in Buddhism, that there's a suspicion of just doing about doing whatever you want to do. One is is because sometimes if I'm just blindly doing what what I'm what I want to do, it can be very harmful for myself. And harmful for others. And this brings another facet of freedom that you find in, in at least Theravada Buddhism is that awakening and freedom is so intertwined with ethical integrity. Like what's threaded through it is this, this quality of non-harming. So cultivating a kind of freedom where I can do anything but it leads to my harm and another person's harm the Buddha would say, well, that doesn't sound very freeing, does it? 
So I just want to point out, this is a different kind of freedom. And yes, maybe on a, a, a more serious note, there are, there are times where, you know, having freedoms to be able to voice one's opinions, these political freedoms that can come with, for example, democracy are really important. So I don't want to dismiss those. But to rather clarify, you could say the one of the projects of the spiritual path or one way that it's framed. And I, there are other, other different frames, but I think that would be for a different conversation. So this, this, this notion of a heart that's free of greed, hatred, and delusion, a heart that's free of reactivity, I want to point out, I just want to broaden the scope, is that there's so many different ways of holding just this definition I've given to you. Some practitioners hold this, this uh, definition as a real possibility that all of us can reach, where the heart is completely free of reactivity. Like there's a phrase that you find in some of these early texts of Buddhism where the Buddha says, oh, what done has been done. One has come to full awakening where, where there's no longer any kind of arising of greed, hatred, delusion, no kind of arising of reactivity. Whereas other practitioners see this more as some kind of archetypal ideal. Like we're giving, given this mythic story about the possibility of the heart doing this. But maybe in reality, it's just pointing to uh, that it's a continual process that has ever deepening layers to it, that the heart can always get freer and freer and freer. So it's not some kind of place and it's done, but we're in process both individually and collectively. So I share this just to show a little bit of the multiplicity. I don't want you to get a sense of like, you have to believe this in a certain way or understand it in a certain way. There's so many different ways of understanding or holding what freedom is in our lives and the possibility of that for a human being. And also, again, I'm not going to be getting into this so much, but I, I want to point out that I'm, I'm giving you a definition that is describing awakening in negative terms. I'm not telling you what it is. I'm telling you what it isn't. <laughs> and the Buddha does this often. There are some positive definitions, but often he, he just says what it's not. It's basically saying it's not your obsessive mind. It's something different. <laughs> and so that leaves the door open for many different descriptions of freedom. And you'll find this in this spiritual tradition and other spiritual traditions where different people speak about it in different ways. And just to honor that, because I think, you know, someone has some deep awakening and then they can only explain how it happened to them kind of from their point of view and their kind of situatedness. So then that resonates with some people and not with others. And I think that's helpful to have different descriptions that might speak to us in different ways. I remember, you know, the very first few years of my practice, I was so fascinated with this question of what is awakening. And I remember, this is now, it was about 30 years ago, I was traveling in Sikkim, which is now part of India. And I went to a monastery, a famous monastery, at least in Tibetan Buddhism, called Rumtek, which is the, uh, the, the center of the, the head monastery for the Kagyu tradition, at least at that time it was. And so I'd come to this amazing monastery and 
it was also this this monastery is connected with the 16th Karmapa. Some of you know him. He had just died, maybe I don't know about a year before that. So they're in transition, and I had this opportunity to meet one of the high lamas there, and so I came with my one question <laughs> that I really was excited about to get the answer finally because I was so excited about awakening. So I so I asked him. Um, how do you tell if someone's enlightened? Like, I wanted to know, like, how do I tell? Like, are you enlightened or not? Or like, what's the test? Because I really want to know. And he says, uh, oh, to see if someone's awake, it's, it's uh, one who's awake is, is like a bird flying through the sky that leaves no footprints. Yeah, that's about as much as I got out of it that maybe what you're getting out of it right now. <laughs> it was like, great, that is so poetic. But I was looking for like a concrete answer. <laughs> I'm not looking for poetry. You know, I didn't say this to him. I said, you know, of course, I probably said something like, thank you so much. That was so profound and transformative. But honestly, at that point in my, my practice, it really wasn't. I was just more confused and it was a groovy Zen-like answer. And we might come back to that, you know, as I fold it in uh, to come back to this image. And this is the, the challenge is sometimes we want something concrete and there might not be something concrete in terms of the positive aspect of this. Yet I, I want to expand this a little bit and, and hopefully give us a chance to sense into our own experience where we can find maybe tastes of this direction of freedom or awakening in our own lives or maybe through this practice. One of the words that the Buddha uses synonymous with awakening or full awakening is Nibbana. So that's in the Pali, Pali being the early scriptural language of, of Buddhism. Later on in Sanskrit, it's Nirvana. And kind of etymologically, the ni, it's, it's, it's a more of a negative. It means to, to something when it's finished or ended or something goes out. Um, and then the bana is the going, the going out. And it's uh, often referred to, for example, in terms of a fire. So you could say a fire nibanas. It, it, it gets extinguished. You pour, pour water on it, and then it goes out. The thing about this, which is really quite fascinating, is that it's a metaphor that the Buddha was using that many people feel like has been misunderstood for centuries and centuries. And I'm really grateful for Tanasaro Bhikkhu, a, a monastic who kind of explains this. Because during the Buddha's time, fire, when it was burning, for example, off of fuel like wood, it was seen as being trapped by the wood. It was, it was uh, trapped and entangled by the wood. And so when you light a fire, what you're doing is you're confining it, you're seizing it to its fuel. So you light the fire, and then it's like you call upon the fire, and then it gets caught up in the, in the wood. It's entangled there. It's confined. And then when you pour water on it, what you've done is you haven't extinguished the fire you've released the fire from its fuel. It's unbound now from the, from the wood. It doesn't have to be trapped anymore. So it's not an extinguishing. It's a, 
uh, as Tanasaro Bhikkhu says, this monastic, he says, it's like having a heart like fire that is now released or unbound. And what practice is, is it releases, you could say, poetically, the fire of our lives from the fuel that entangles or confines it. Do you see how radically different this kind of notion is than just a fire going out? Like something's getting released. And it's also a limit, uh, an image that comes back to uh, an essential quality of this practice, which is that this process is the process of a letting go rather than acquiring something. And this is really important because sometimes awakening is seen as a place or an experience. And the Buddha is saying the significant part of it is not so much getting something or having something, it's, it's the heart and, uh, harder mind releasing or letting go. How can we begin to understand this in our lived lives right now? And I, I don't do this not to demean I think the full depth of awakening, but to make it relevant. And from that relevance, hopefully we can start to get a sense of the, maybe the different depths of layers that are there and that it's still applicable to our lives. So one way of understanding this is, it, it's like, I, I don't know if you've had this experience. You know, for me at times, it has felt like some emotion, let's say worry, is, is a program in the background of my experience that is running everything. You ever have that feeling? There's worry or fear. And it's like you, you come to meditation and you settle down a little bit, but it's still there. And then when you get up and you plan to do something, that planning is kind of fueled by worry. You're thinking about tomorrow. It's just, just a subtle bit of fear. It seems like it's doing that. What you're going to say to that person is just trying to navigate so you can feel okay and make sure they feel okay. Am I the only one that feels this or does anyone feel the program in the background? Phew. Maybe I just teach just to normalize my neurosis. So thank you. And... And one way of, that I start to get a sense of this metaphor is it's kind of like the fire of my, of, of my life is released from being entangled from the fuel of, uh, of worry. It's like worry is the wood. And it can feel so relieving when, when the fire is released from that. That program isn't running me. It's not running my life. The fire of my life is now free. And maybe you know the sense of this. Maybe you've had those times in your life where that obsessive tape of anger or fear or frustration is running. And then finally it dies down or it's gone and you feel a bit of relief or release. You know what I'm talking about? The storm's over. The fire's not entangled in the same way. That's more the flavor of awakening, of Nibbana. Kind of what one monastic says, you know, Nibbana for everyone. We can get tastes of this, that sense of relief, of release, where something lets up. 
But I want to point out something about this program in the background, because have you noticed it can feel like we're living our lives this way, that it can feel like there are all these loose ends of our lives floating around. And then what comes with that is this feeling that once I tie up all of those loose ends, then I will be at peace. You know what I'm talking about? But guess what? There will never come the day where you tie up all those loose ends. That's what's called samsara. That's the loop of dukkha. That's the loop of, of the suffering in my life is I feel like if I tie up the loose ends, that's where my happiness and contentment is. And the Buddha is saying, uh, probably not. That's just the program in the background. We need to let go of that project. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is good to get some things done in our life, but I don't want it to be the fuel that's driving my life. Those loose ends of once I finish the to-do list, once I get rid of feeling like I'm not enough, or once I stop judging myself and others, then I'll be free. So in light of this, I want to give another dimension of what it is for this fire of our lives to be released or unbound. Maybe it's not when the worry goes away or the frustration or the anger. It's just that it's not driving my life anymore. And through meditation, I can see it. I see the worry. And when I see it, it doesn't drive me as much. Yeah, it's still there but the fire of my life isn't entangled with it in some way. It's not confined by those little stories of worry, fear, frustration, sadness, whatever it is. Maybe that's what the Buddha is talking about. This is what we're looking for. Just this, these tastes of, you could say, Nibbana in this simple sense. The heart and mind letting go in this way, releasing from the program in the background, or at least seeing it. So there's at least more space and not being confined. Not being confined by all these emotions that trouble us, and not being confined by the concepts that we can make around ourselves and others. Have you noticed the stories that you can create around another person, like especially those close to you? And then I'm no, no longer seeing them. And it's often around the people that are so close to me that I feel like I know them. But when I feel like I know them, a lot of times what's happened is I confine them. And then I do it to myself. And you notice the different experience when you just meet someone Freshly are there being present with another being. How freeing it is for that person and yourself. And I so much more enjoy being with myself when I don't have stories about myself. <laughs> They're so confining. To, to release the fire of my life from the stories that confine. Letting go of such fuel. So back to the flying bird, you know, maybe just like the bird that leaves no trace of footprints, maybe in that way when we're free, we don't leave the trace of reactivity. We don't, 
We don't leave the trace of being fueled by worry or fear. The fire of our lives is free. I think this is why the Buddha says, you know, this famous line that you find in the four foundations of mindfulness, you know, that, that one abides independently, not clinging to anything in the world, this openness, this release. How, how do we go towards Nibbana? How do we go towards these tastes of freedom? It's this simple practice that we engage in, in meditation. You could say it's being aware with no agenda. Can I be aware of what's going on right now without imposing an agenda on it? I'm just noticing. I'm resting in that place of awareness, of paying attention. And even in that description, sometimes you can get the feeling. Do do, do you know that feeling when you're simply aware? It feels like you're not as entangled with what's arising. It feels so different when I'm sitting and I'm feeling the breathing and then I can notice the thought of worry and I can just say, oh, worry, there it is. Yep. It's not me being worried. I'm not taking it that seriously. It's just worry. It's just arising and passing away. When I see it, it doesn't fuel the fire of my life. So hopefully you hear in this being aware with no agenda, I'm just accepting what's arising and recognizing it. This is all we're doing. So tonight, what I invite you to do is is to have this practice of being aware with no agenda, just being aware of what's arising. Oh, here's a thought. There's another thought. There's the breath. Feeling the breathing, the mind gets lost in thought to pause. Oh, it's just thinking. It's just planning. It's just the mind scattered, being lost in thought. Yep. Oh, there's an emotion. Yeah, there's some irritation. Yep, sleepiness. There's sensations. They come and go. Are you hearing just in the tone of my voice of this narration of meditation, how it's intertwined with unhooking from the fuel, allowing for a heart that's unbound like fire. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.